is Matt Liner, and you're listening to Reign of Troy Radio. Reign of Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Could I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Forget Michael Castillo on the phone. <laughs> Scrap, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain it, what I'm feeling right now, guys. Oh, I can't believe USB is 5 and 7 and not going to a ball. Oh. Alright Trojan fans, turn up the volume. It's time for Reign of Troy Radio. Here's your host, Michael Castillo. Hello everybody, welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio, episode 350. Coming to you on Tuesday, December 10th. We're going to talk about USC heading to the Holiday Bowl in San Diego and break down some news. Open up the mailbag and so much more here on this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is Reign of Troy at fansented.com, and our phone number is 213-373-1872. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host, Alicia Deratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. We finally... Finally, 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 finally have our destination of where we're going to cover USC's bowl game. It is not Pasadena. It is not San Antonio. It's San Diego. San Diego, super holiday, San Diego. That doesn't really work quite quite as well. No, no. And do, um... do, you, do you even get that reference? I do not get that reference. You're the first a Chargers thing, fan. What the hell? I'm like a faux. I'm a bad Chargers fan. Like I'm not like I was basically like a Ladanian Tomlinson and Philip Rivers fan. And and uh, and um, oh my god. Uh, why can't I remember Antonio Gates? Jeez. Antonio Gates. Yeah. Um, and. T- Antonio Gates was the the OG uh, favorite tight end. Stop of throwing to the tight end. Exactly. Um, but that, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm a bad, I'm a bad Chargers fan. Uh, either way, the first thing I thought of was, uh, San Diego from Anchorman. Never seen it. No yeah, interest. I mean, I did not expect you to have seen it, but others will get that joke. Sure. I, I'm not, I'm not going to finish the punchline to that joke because, um, it involves a piece of a whale's anatomy that maybe shouldn't be on a family friendly show yeah a dorsal fin exactly yeah a baleen teeth <laughs> you pulling out that whale watching knowledge a blowhole did you go face to face with with the blowhole and he said easy big fella uh, now you're making a seinfeld reference <laughs> you got that one hey look at that Hey, look at that. Look I'm at getting you, better. You are getting better. Lo and behold. Occasionally I do occasionally I do get your Seinfeld references. It's rare. It's rare, but you actually do. Uh let's talk about this. USC going to the Holiday Bowl. Third time ever they're going to the Holiday Bowl, and it's three times in six seasons. SC went in twenty fourteen, in twenty fifteen, and now they're back again in twenty nineteen. Uh it happens because Utah did not do their job. They did not beat Oregon. In the Pac-12 championship game, they did not go to the playoff. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Yeah, they they didn't get into the playoff. Uh, They lost big to the Oregon Ducks, and Oregon wins the Pac-12. 
So the Alamo Bowl takes Utah. USC tumbles down to the Holiday Bowl where they will play the Iowa Hawkeyes. It's going to be the 10th time all time that USC faces the Hawkeyes the first time since 2003 when USC went into the Orange Bowl, uh, which was a fun matchup. SC won that game 38-17, a matchup between the Heisman Trophy winner, Carson Palmer, and the Heisman Trophy runner-up, Brad Banks. SC won. Big. Yeah, that was when more people were excited for the matchup between USC and Iowa. But before we get into that, uh, I do want to point out that there's a lot of USC fans out here either upset or disappointed or unenthusiastic about this particular um about this particular bowl matchup about this bowl the landing spot as it were that uh, usc fans feel that the holiday bowl is beneath them and uh, we've been having this conversation with people on twitter but put yourself in the shoes of a utah fan and i know that utah's like their standards are not as as high as usc's they don't have the tradition that usc has but they were one game away from being in the playoff. Playoffs? And not we'll only do they... Playoffs? You kidding me? Not only do they tumble out of the playoff, they don't get to go to the Rose Bowl, they don't get to go to a New Year's Six Bowl, they drop into the Alamo Bowl. So, like, of all of the tumbling that happened there, USC's tumble to the Holiday Bowl is significantly shorter than poor Utah falling flat on their face, uh, sadly, against Oregon. I'm very disappointed in the Utes. All season, we said, you know, wow, is this the season that they don't uh, fall flat on their face? Like, for once, that they're going to come through, and then then that happened. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. it did not end well uh, for the Utes. And you said USC's fall was shorter, and the drive is also going to be shorter with it being in San Diego. Uh, I don't know that I'm super excited about USC playing an Iowa team. Uh, that's not a knock on Iowa, just Iowa is not... Uh, not Michigan. And Michigan would have been fun for the storylines of it being, you know, uh, Jim Harbaugh and what that means for for USC rivalry. Uh, Plus, USC and Michigan have a bowl game rivalry. They've met a bunch of times in the Rose Bowl, so that would have been fun. It would have been like a little classic uh, Rose Bowl feel down in the Holiday Bowl, but it ends up being USC and Iowa, the Hawkeyes, uh, nine and three, three losses, all to teams ranked in the top twenty or the top fifteen. That's what you want to do if if you're Kirk Ferentz, and that's how you continue to be uh, the head coach in Iowa City for seemingly forever. Yeah, I'm not particularly excited for this matchup, and it has nothing to do with Iowa. You always hear really nice things about Iowa's fans, and I don't know they've they've got an interesting team. They're always competitive, but. Really, like, my enthusiasm for any more football that is played by USC has been sucked dry by the prospect of having to talk about this team still coached by Clay Hilton, still coached by all of the assistants that Clay Hilton employs, and still followed by the angry mob of USC fans who have to let you know at every turn uh, just how they feel about those uh, previous two facts. So... Um, I don't like I if it was just us talking about USC and Iowa, I think I could get into it. Um, but I, I also still do have the bad taste of the of the holiday bowl against um, Wisconsin in my mouth. So I don't know. It's just mm, meh. Can SC top that that game? 
That that game, the Wisconsin end, game, ended in the stupidest of ways. Can Essie can, top that can in, the, Cl- in this game? Can Keaton Slovis throw short of the sticks on fourth down? Is what you're asking? Um, I doubt oh, that will happen. So not not only, not only checking down out of a hail mary, but trying to get the first down instead, but still throwing short of the sticks on fourth down. Yeah, an, an all time yeah. an all time moment. Didn't Wisconsin have that like that linebacker or something? Jack who was, like, he, had, he had three sacks yeah. in three plays. Yeah, and he had not had oh, a sack the, all yeah. season. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. Yeah, one of those one of those games. Uh, SC did not get the win. That was Clay Helton's first bowl game. This one it will be the most recent bowl game. Uh, USC and Iowa, December twenty seventh, five p.m. Pacific time. Uh, at uh, the place formerly known as uh, Jack Murphy. I don't know what it's called now. SDCCU whatever. Wait, is it not Qualcomm anymore? No, they they lost the deal. Oh. Oh, okay. Well, then the form, the place formerly known as Qualcomm is Jack what Murphy. I would refer to it as. Jack Murphy. Okay. <laughs> is that before your time? Jack Murphy? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't get this one either. So, if I said... Uh, if I mentioned Joe Robbie Stadium, you would have no idea what Joe Robbie Stadium is? I don't even know what stadiums are currently called, let alone what they used to be called. To be fair, though, Joe Robbie Stadium, in my lifetime, has been called Joe Robbie Stadium, Pro Player, Landshark, um, Dolphin Stadium, uh, I th- it's Hard Rock, I think it was Sun Life, right? Something like that? I the, remember there being jo- a Sun Life involved in some bowl game at some point. Yeah. The million names for for Joe Robbie. At least Jack Murphy didn't have that many names. Uh, but now it is whatever it is. It's it's Jack Murphy to me, uh, and it will will always be. Uh, let's get into the news uh, more about USC and the Holiday Bowl and how they pr- plan to prepare for that Holiday Bowl coming up next. We'll be right back. In the blogosphere, there's something called clickbait. Uh, clickbait, which I feel like the internet doesn't actually know what the definition of clickbait is. They uh, definitely don't. <laughs> clickbait is the act of titling something uh, to encourage you to click, and that title um, is suggestive and does not deliver on what it's suggesting. That's what a clickbait title is. Uh, so a, a clickbait title that says, you won't believe what so-and-so said, what scandalous thing so-and-so said, and then you click on it and it's not very scandalous, that's a clickbait headline. Yeah, because newsflash, folks, um, every headline is, the point of a headline is to get you to read something. Yeah. So every headline has an element of clickbaitiness, the way that people like to broadly use the term. But true clickbait is, you're being sold a bill of goods that is is uh, lesser than... The headline claims it is. Yeah. And I did not give you guys clickbait. I gave you listen bait, I guess. Listen bait. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I said we're going to talk about USC's plans for the Holiday Bowl. Alicia, there are no plans as of Monday night when we're recording this. Um, th- this comes from a, a, an article from USCfootball.com by Dan Weber uh, talking about USC's bowl preparation for the Holiday Bowl. Quote, On a Monday when USC was still trying to figure out when it would start practicing for the Holiday Bowl December 27th, 
Iowa's Hawkeyes had already practiced three times after finishing the season with three straight wins, ending up November 30th against Nebraska. Yep, the Hawkeyes got an extra week on USC at the end of the regular season and then practiced three times for their bowl since then with two of those before they knew when and where they would be playing. And still, no USC bowl practice schedule. Check that. They're, quote, expecting to have it by midweek, we're told. So that would make a practice start before the end of the week practically impractical. Uh, So let's say USC doesn't get going until the weekend. What does that give the Trojans in terms of time to get to the allowed 15 practices? That would give USC only 14 days, including Christmas Eve and Christmas, to use those 15 practices. Uh, That comes from Dan Weber of USCfootball.com. Alicia, this was an issue with USC going into the Holiday Bowl back in 2015, Clay Helton's first season as a full-time head coach. He was just named full-time head coach uh, at the time in December. This is a very different situation, but yet SC seems to be in that same boat where they're not going to use all their practices. Yeah, there are two angles to this that annoy me. The first is that USC is once again not going to use all of those practices. And that's frustrating because those bowl practices aren't just about preparing for Iowa. Those bowl, As Iowa demonstrated, they used two of their bowl practices before they even found out who they were going to play. And in that article, Dan Weber quotes, um, I think I was defensive coordinator talking about how the first few practices are focused on Iowa, on Iowa versus Iowa, getting the fundamentals right and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's the way you should look at it. You should take advantage of every day of practice that you have available to you because every day of practice might be valuable to some of your players. Maybe it's not that important to have um, John Houston practicing in the month of December, but it might be really important to get an extra day or two for Kyle Ford or for Keenan Kristen, or for Dejon Benton, or or any of USC's offensive linemen, all of whom are, you know, fre- freshmen and, and the young guys. Like, that can be very important, and USC choosing to not take advantage of that is very frustrating to me. Take advantage somehow, some way. We, we're, not gonna, we're not trying to, like, make it out that USC has this really uncomplicated situation and, they, and they're screwing it up. It is complicated. They do have to recruit. The early signing period has screwed everything up, but... I don't think Iowa is out there not recruiting the way that they need to be because they're practicing. Like, I think that you can find a middle ground here to work around that schedule. And it just seems like USC isn't willing to. The second part of it is, I think, the more egregious part. And I think you and I both agree on this, Michael. For weeks now, USC has known, going down to the result of the Pac-12 title game, where they would land in the bowl. It's not like... It was a great mystery. Like, oh, was USC going to be in the Fiesta Bowl or the uh, Citrus Bowl or the um, Cheez-It Bowl or the Red Box Bowl? Or you know, where was USC going to land? Bad Boys no. Mowers Bowl? Yeah, yeah exactly. The, the Sarsaparilla whatever bowl, whatever. No, there were only two possibilities that weren't in USC's control, at least, once USC wasn't going to be in the, in the Pac-12 title game. They were either going to the Alamo Bowl or they were going to the Holiday Bowl. And the Alamo Bowl and the Holiday Bowl happened to be a couple days apart. So they, no matter what, they were going to be playing their bowl game in the final days of December. And they knew they were going to either be in San Diego or be in San Antonio. And that was, it was very simple, one or the other. You and I, Michael, were making plans, waiting to, to see what that result of the, the game on Friday was and waiting to see how this was going to be. We knew exactly what we were going to do if USC was in the Alamo Bowl. We had our schedule down to a T. We knew exactly what we were going to do if USC was in the Holiday Bowl. 
We had we had hotel deals lined up so that as soon as it got announced, we'd know exactly what we were doing. And I'm not trying to like compare our logistics with USC's logistics where they have hundreds of players to like 100 players to deal with and all that kind of stuff. But like at a certain point, like we were prepared. We know other fans who were, you know, fans who were out there with airfare already purchased and hotels already booked in both locations ready to cancel depending on where USC was going. Like we we know that everyone else was prepared for this. So why didn't USC have a plan in place knowing if we're in the Alamo Bowl, then this will be our practice schedule. If we're in the Holiday Bowl, then this will be our practice schedule. Like, is it really that hard? I don't understand. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me that they didn't have that in place. It just reeks of the sort of laissez-faire attitude that USC has had around the organization of the program. And uh, this is not the kind of thing that I wanted to see happen after we already are very skeptically looking at USC for the decision to keep this regime around. But now all of a sudden we're seeing that things weren't learned from previous bowl games, apparently. Like, especially last year, they didn't get bowl practices. So, like, well, then clearly they don't need them. I mean, clearly. (laughs) I I think for me, the, the biggest gripe for me is is the lack of preparation from an optics perspective. I can under I can completely understand the idea that you know you know what we need our coaches uh, like like if I'm sitting there and and listen to Clay Helton he could he could look at me and maybe tell me you know what we need our coaches recruiting instead of coaching right now because our recruiting is so important uh, that we need to to shore that up and I can listen to that argument. And I think it's a it's a valid argument to to a certain extent. Sure, certainly, like you said, well, what's Iowa doing in terms of recruiting? Um, probably better than USC, but that's a different uh, different subject. Uh, the point <laughs> the the point is like I, that's that's a a, a preference. Uh, the, the, I think that argument has merit, right? If if you're gonna say. You know, boosting USC's recruiting class, which is in the cellar of the Pac-12 and all this stuff, is is important. Yeah, you're, I, I, I get it. I, I think that I, I can understand how, how you could come to that thought. I get it. What I don't get is you know that the bowl preparation has been a critique. You know it. Every year, every year USC is in a bowl, people have critiqued the bowl preparation. So just get ahead of it. Get ahead of it. Uh, you know, if, if there was, a, if the 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 bowl uh, practice schedule dropped on on Sunday and it said, you know what, we're we're gonna not use all of our 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 bowl practices because the coaches need to be out recruiting and we're gonna emphasize that. Okay, but at least that you show that you know some wherewithal in terms of optics and and preparation and knowing what you're doing and having a plan, but there's just no plan here. And it's like, at least have some awareness to where the criticisms are, even if you have to fake it. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. But like you said, there is no plan. And I don't think anyone's thinking about these things. Like or if, if, the, or if there is a plan, about... they're not sharing the plan. And it's like, Which share the dumb. plan be- because clearly this is something that where you get critiqued over. So yeah, and you already, you're. I mean, this is the stubbornness that USC has, though. Like, this is their stubbornness. Is they're just like, 
we're going to do our thing and whatever. Screw you guys. Like, Maybe they've had pr- closed practices that are closed to the media that they just haven't told people. If that's the case, yeah. again, tell people that they've happened so that way you don't get blown to smithereens for it. You know what I mean? Yes. So apparently they've, they've had conditioning workouts. Like that's, uh, I think Gavin Morris was tweeting or, or on his Instagram story or something like that was posting videos from the um, from the practice that the, the the quote unquote practices that USC was holding. But like guys in shorts and like not in pads, not in helmets, not in anything. So not real practices. Yeah. Just, just, get, just out of, get out ahead of it. Uh, that's just, that's the only thing I have. Have some self awareness for. for once. You, I mean, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of self awareness, uh, Graham Harrell might have some because as of right now, he's not leaving USC. Uh, at least not has been that hasn't been reported. He's not going to UNLV. We know that. Uh, the Runner Rebels are looking to close in on Oregon offensive coordinator Marcus Arroyo. Uh, Graham Harrell had previously. Uh, interviewed for that job to be uh, the head coach at UNLV. Uh, we, we talked about this before. I think that's the smart move for Graham. I, I think if you're Graham, I think, you know, the, the the Texas offensive coordinator job is another one that's been rumored there. I think you want to be at USC or Texas and parlay that into a power five job or a good group of five school. UNLV is not that. So uh, if I was Graham Harrell, I, I, I think he's made the right move there. We'll see if uh, if SC is able to uh, ultimately keep him away from uh, Austin. Yeah, and that's going to be the th- interesting thing to watch out for. I think that it's it's possible that Texas is willing to wait until after the bowl. So this will be interesting to see. This th- this one might drag on. It really might. It might. It might indeed. Uh, speaking of things dragging on, USC's recruiting class kind of dragging the bottom of the sea a little bit. Uh, it got helped in terms of being dragged along at the bottom because USC lost a couple of commitments. Uh, three-star offensive tackle Joey Wright decommitted on Friday, and then uh, three-star offensive lineman slash defensive lineman Kyle Jurgens decommitted on Sunday. Uh, to USC's credit, they did pull one back with Cortland Ford, a three-star offensive tackle from uh, Cedar Hill, Texas, on Monday who committed. Yeah, so this is this is the annual story. Anyone who's been listening to this podcast for a couple of years knows our stance on these kinds of things. When three gar- when three star commits decommit late in the recruiting process, the vast majority of the time it has been told it is because they have been hinted at or signaled at or given the you know the little wink wink about maybe needing to look elsewhere. So when you lo- when you have USC losing two three star commits over the weekend, uh, you really shouldn't be panicking because chances are they've got somebody on the hook who they are making room for as a result. Now USC can only really bring in thirteen or fourteen guys in this class uh, unless there are decommitments or or, the, or whatever. So the numbers are pretty tight, and with adding a Cortland Ford, they're now at ten commits. So again, they're they're working. They have a lot of three star guys who could. For you know, as as um, unpalatable as this is, who could be dropped at some point if USC needs, if USC has bigger, better guys that they have on the line. Now, the bigger and better of this is maybe not what USC wants to see, but Cortland Ford is 
bigger and better than either Kyle Jurgens or Joey Wright. He would be considered the the highest. Okay, so here we go. The highest ranked offensive tackle that USC has committed to them for this class so far. And when I say that, he's 706th nationally. So again, not not spectacular, but this is a guy who was also he's six foot six, three hundred and five pounds. Uh, he's a, a a big big dude, and apparently he's had some injury issues that has made him uh, sort of drop off the off the map recruiting wise. So USC's taking a chance on him, but um, he is an improvement on who USC had before. So there you have it. USC is sort of back still. USC lost two guys, added one guy, and they're back at 76th nationally. So I, I think whenever you get an offensive tackle that's, you know, a, a freaking car dealership, that's probably a, a good start. Especially one from Texas. Like, I'm not going to poo-poo any offensive linemen that you bring in from Texas. And USC has added two from Texas in the last two weeks. I don't so even get, a, Casey, get like a he or a ha. You get nothing. You Cortland get Ford, you're going to tell me that's not like your your local uh, dealer that's, a, it, that's that'll get you in a, uh, a F two fifty with no money down? Absolutely, absolutely, you are correct. Can, can't you picture uh, uh, Buddy Garrity working at Cortland Ford? <laughs> okay, that one you got to chuckle. Fine, <laughs> there we go. Uh, let's talk about Urban Meyer. Uh, other news that came out on Monday. Uh, he called USC's job an elite one on the Colin Cowherd show, uh, The Herd. Quote, I think it all starts and ends with recruiting, Meyer said. I think USC is not a glamour job. I think it is an elite, elite job. Why? Within two hours of your campus, you've got the best players in America or as good as any. Yeah, so the whole glamour versus elite thing is is a theory of Colin Cowherd's that there are only a handful of really great jobs, and those are Ohio State, Oklahoma, Alabama, LSU, and that the rest of the, the, the jobs that look like great jobs are actually really just glamour jobs, and he puts Miami, Texas, USC, Georgia in the glamour job category, and Urban Meyer rejected that uh, that theory. Um, I mean, I think he agreed with it when it comes to Miami, Florida State, and he specifically talked about Florida, the state of Florida being problematic because he saw when he was head coach at Florida that a lot of the um, a lot of the talent in Florida is underdeveloped. If you're not at one of the really elite schools with the really good coaching that he he like often Thomas said Aquinas that, or whatever. Yeah, like the like the big hitters, like pretty much everyone else out there, are, they're not particularly well developed or well coached at the high school level. So that's a problem. Uh, where he points out that California is a recruiting hotbed. Um, Georgia is a recruiting hotbed. Those make those elite jobs because if you have a recruiting pool, an elite recruiting pool, then you are an elite job. And I think that's interesting because, um, you know, USC has those built in advantages and they always say like USC recruits itself and everything like that. But my point when I wrote about this on RandomTroy.com is that USC has the po- the potential of eliteness, but they have to act like it. And the the comparison I made is that you know, if you're born with God-given athleticism, then that can take you a long way. But eventually, you're not going to be bigger, stronger, and faster than everyone else that you're playing against. And at that point, your ability to succeed or fail is going to to depend on your work ethic, your dedication to being great. And we see that all the time. 
There are tons and tons of amazing athletes who don't pan out for one reason or another. And, you know, some of the time it's guys who didn't have the drive to make themselves great. And you see other guys who didn't have as much athleticism, but they had the drive to make themselves great. Well, that's the situation that USC is in. You see, USC is, has that God-given athleticism in, in the talent pool that it has available to it, where you have not just great talent and a, and a saturation of talent, but well-developed talent in the, in the uh, Los Angeles area. But USC still has to put it all together. And it requires acting like an elite program. Oklahoma, Ohio State, Alabama, those teams act, those programs act like elite programs by investing in their football programs. Seriously, investing. Not just, you know, money, but um, ex- sort of expectations of greatness and, and the like. So I don't think that USC lives up to that standard when you're talking about elite jobs. But Urban, if Urban Meyer's calling you an elite job, then... You're an elite job. Yeah, SC's proximity to all the elite talent, especially in you know Orange County and LA County and everything, um, certainly makes USC's job a lot easier. Uh, at the same time, you need to be able to. Th- this goes back to what we've talked about before. You need to be able to have the talent with the coaching, and the coaching comes with power and investment. But the talent uh, is always going to be there for USC. You just need to put those two things together. So. If you had a coaching staff uh, in which you in- invested wholeheartedly in um, and brought somebody because they were an elite job and you absolutely you know, recruited the hell out of modern day and St. John Bosco and Calabasas and all these other big schools, right? You'd win a lot of, a lot of ball games, I, w- I would imagine, right? Yeah, without trying too hard either. Yeah, yep, indeed. Uh, we'll take a quick break. We'll come right back. And uh, open up the mailbag. We got a bunch of calls, a bunch of emails, a bunch of text messages, tweets, all that. Be right back. You've got mail. All right, Alicia, let's start with a voicemail we got from Al. Yes, now that SE has decided to keep USC's main coach, Mr. Clay Halton, have any decisions they made on his assistance, particularly Pansy, defensive coordinator, and Baxter, the special team coordinator, and Graham Harrell, what's his status? Anyway, this is Al. Thank you. Thanks for the call, Al. Uh, we have not heard anything about Baxter or Clancy. The only thing we've heard about Graham Harrell is that you know he interviewed for the UNLV job. He's been in the mix for the Texas offensive coordinator job. But he's still on Kevin Morris's Instagram story uh, as recently as a couple days ago. So, uh, and he, there's been pictures of him out recruiting. So it doesn't seem like he's leaving just yet. But uh, the the Graham Harrell rumors are still there. Uh, but with Clancy and Baxter, it feels like it's going to be if there's a move there, it's going to be after the bowl game. And it, it's slimy, but I think that this is for recruiting, right? Like, it, it's so difficult to make a move. Right now, when signing day is a week away, and you know our our friend Chuck and Spratling over at USTFootball.com talked about this uh, this week. If you were going to do that, you needed to do it right away, not this late in the game. And at this point, you kind of have to wait in, until the uh, the bowl game. 
Yeah, and we also got questions from, on Twitter from uh, Stobley, who said, is there a legit reason to wait to let, let Pendergast, Pendergast and Baxter go? Seems like keeping Helton might have gone over marginally better if there was a change there. And David O.C. also tweeted us, do we have any word on other coaching staff moves? I'm looking in the general vicinity of the D.C. and special teams. Does it make sense to flip this switch after the bowl game? So I think everyone's pretty much on the same page, and, and I think you're right. Which, you know, doesn't absolve USC of anything. I think this was the problem with them waiting as long as they did. If right after the Pac-12 title game, um, they just, uh, sorry, right after Utah's game uh, against Colorado, if they had just made their move and said, okay, we're keeping Clay Hilton, but we're firing these guys, then they'd have had plenty of time to start looking at assistance and everything like that. But at the same time, you know, like Texas did that and Texas still hasn't, identified guys to come in and take those spots so they're entering this pivotal recruiting week without a full staff so there is a a give and take there and essentially where USC found themselves in the no man's land where they definitely weren't going to be able to bring in people to fill those those slots before early signing period and then um you know needing the full staff there to to salvage this recruiting class you didn't really want to sabotage that so just puts us back in this, um, you know, again, another unpalatable situation where USC is probably going to fire these coaches who are doing all the recruiting to convince these players to come to USC. So good times. That's recruiting. Um, as an aside, I think it's time for me to declare what I'm probably just going to end up declaring every year from here on out. The early signing period sucks and it's ruined, ruined college football more than the transfer portal or any other of the other stuff that uh, the, the, the playoff debates or conference championship games or anything like that the early signing period is the worst thing that has happened to college football in the last five years never been prouder of you for speaking up uh, about something than this because this was literally the argument i was waiting for you to finish talking so i could make i hate it like (laughs) who is it benefiting at this point it's hurting the kids because now there's in a situation where schools feel like they have to employ these coaches only to fire them after because they need to do that for recruiting, right? Like, I, I understand how that happens, but it's also slimy to the kids. Uh, it, it's hurting the coaches um, that, you know, get hired. Uh, like, uh, for instance, uh, Lane Kiffin, right? Hired at Ole Miss this week. Now he has, yeah. uh, like, 10 days before signing day to recruit for Ole Miss. That's, that, that's difficult. That's a difficult situation for those coaches to be in. Uh, it's difficult for the practice situation because you can sit here and make a valid argument that, you know, SC should not be practicing for the bowl game because they need to be getting ready for recruiting and have all the staff out recruiting. Yeah. So, like, all these things, uh, you know, it, it just complicates everything. Nobody wins. I agree. I think it's awful. It's – I hate the early signing day. It You lose – I mean, even from a fan perspective – even though you you mentioned all the reasons why it sucks for like the coaches and the players and all this kind of stuff, but like from a fan perspective, you've taken all of the joy out of the recruiting process. At least from from the perspective of you had a perfect lead in in the start of February. You let things ramp up, things get crazy, and and now it's smack dab in the middle of your bowl preparation, smack dab right after your season when you're still doing a sort of look backs at the season and processing the season and all that kind of stuff, like. It totally screws up the flow of the. Uh, oh, Lisa, of you, the you, can't, um, you can't talk about recruiting and use the word flow. <laughs> You'll start well, riling unless, me up uh, here. Unless good things are happening for USC. Yeah. 
you know, I mean, if if things go well for USC, then we may want to be talking about the flow. I still think if, you're, if your name's Flo, you gotta, you gotta go to the Crimson Tide. Just saying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> it's good. Have fun with that. Yeah. Let's go to a voicemail from Lee. Moreno Troy. This is Lee from the Bay Area. I'm listening at your latest podcast on the keeping keeping up play held. Something caught my attention that that you guys said. You guys stated that with um without uh without a president, permanent president, Lanswan gave uh, Coach Clay has an extension. So my thought was, um, I post this on another, on uh, another um, website. Um, why didn't USC just keep uh, Lynn Swan if, if if they were going to do this? So I'm thinking that maybe wh- why the new president fired Lynn Swan because Lynn Swan made a move that only a permanent president can do and maybe she was thinking hey you're here trying to grab power that you don't have that's just a thought that i have and i just want to see what you guys think about that thank you thanks for the call lee uh so lynn swan gave the extension to to clay helton two years ago at the end of the 2017 season i believe it was like february of 2018 after the cotton bowl um, so that was when USC still had President Nikias. It was last year that Lin Swan decided to bring Clay Helton back, uh, and you can you can make an argument that's a certainly a disagreeable argument that the reason or a reason that you bring back Clay Helton for last season or this past season was because of having no president. So when we mentioned it in the last episode, it's mostly that you know there was. There was an an argument on the table. That's why you couldn't make the move. I'm not saying that that's an argument that was the right one. It was just an argument that was on the table, right? But I wouldn't say that, you know, Lynn Swan was, you know, trying to use too much power. And that was one of the reasons that he ultimately uh, got pushed out. I, I I think if anything, it's the opposite, right? He didn't use his power at USC. And that's what, you know, left a lot of people feeling like he didn't do enough. Yeah, the argument against Lynn Swan was that he just wasn't engaged enough in, in, in terms of doing his job. So it's not like he was out here like micromanaging things. He was sort of leaving it too unmanaged. And the other thing, too, is and I think this is something that I, I think we need to continue to repeat. The athletic director is not just responsible for hiring head coaches. In fact, that's the tiny little sliver of their job. The athletic director has a lot more in their job description. They have to Goes it up with boosters and all that kind of stuff, but they also have to run the athletic department, make all the decisions in the athletic department. And that means football, basketball, volleyball, track, um, golf, tennis, uh, you know, whatever other random sports that USC has that I can't name. Like there are like a couple dozen different sports that are that are part of USC's athletic department. So there's a lot more going on than just hiring head coaches. So. I think the decision to get rid of Lynn Swan or to, you know, have him res- resign wasn't just a football decision. We thought that the timing of it was interesting because I think it gave them the opportunity potentially to make a football decision. But I don't think that that was the end all and be all of Carol Foltz, um, 
you know, wanting to bring in her own person to run an athletic department that had just been rocked by a massive, massive national scandal. So, again, there's a lot more to this than just the football situation. I'm going to push back on that a little bit because, yeah, there's a lot more to the job than just hiring a football coach. But how do ADs get judged by how they hire football and basketball coaches? Like, overwhelmingly, that's how they get judged, more than anything. So, yeah, I I agree. There's more to the job. But, like, you know, if you don't do those two jobs right, uh... No one's going to consider you a good AD. Yep. So it's it's 3D chess. But checkers, again, whatever. It, yeah. But but again, I agree. If fan, that's how fans judge you. But also the president has other things that they're putting under consideration. Sure. And SCU has been scandal happy. So there was a reason to uh, to kind of clean house, which they, they partially did by getting rid of Lin Swan, but or having him resign. But they they needed to do more, and they certainly can still do more, not only in the, the football program side of things, but, you know, the athletic department as a whole. Uh, let's go to a voicemail we got from Brandon, too. Good morning, Michael and Alicia. This is Brandon, too, uh, out of Austin, Texas. It is Friday morning, and it's beautiful outside. Um, and that is about the brightest point of my day because of uh, the things that Clay Helton Carol Fulp and Mike Bone have done to me. So, outside of the what we talked, what you've talked about in the Clay Helton Fallout podcast, just throwing this last idea out there, uh, let's just say that Mike Bone and Carol really do care about USC football, and they don't want the program to just be downgraded in a sense. Which that theory's been thrown out there. I really hope that's not true, uh, but let's say it's not. Maybe Mike Bone actually has some kind of long-term plan here that could could instead work out you know so i'm thinking about it this way uh clay helton signed a new deal at the end of 2017 um thanks to the brilliant lynn swan and his negotiation tactics as you can see exhibit a in the cliff kingsbury uh hundred thousand dollar buyout that's wonderful um so it's undisclosed but it was probably a five-year deal with a six-year option making it that total six-year deal with um and I'm assuming that if it's like any other contract, that after year three, about halfway through that, the buyout drops significantly um, because it just for negotiation reasons, which makes sense. Um, and so that that would be year three of that contract would be the 2020 season. So the end of the 2020 season um, would probably cut the $20 million buyout estimate to like an $8 million to $10 million buyout, which is good. Um so maybe Mike Bone sees that, and then he also sees that next year we play Alabama at Oregon, at Utah, home against Notre Dame, and then we know uh, Clay Helton will squander probably a game against the Pac-12 North team somewhere. Pac-12 South, he's been pretty decent against, but we'll see. We lose another one. So that's 8-4, and 7-5 and five at best. Then he knows that he will probably get the chance to fire Clay Helton at the end of next season just as well, no matter what they do. Um, and that's kind of a tough schedule to actually navigate for a coach or any new coach. Um, maybe by 2021, he makes that coaching change to a, a person that he's now had a year to kind of research, including maybe they've actually spoken to Urban Meyer. I'm not saying it has to be Urban Meyer. I'm not even in favor of this, but it could have been they had a conversation with Urban Meyer as well to maybe get his act together or figure out some better optics so that they could actually hire him. 
and that's the season that we play UC Davis. Um, we have BYU on the schedule again, um, and then we have home against Utah. We don't play Oregon or Washington that year, so that schedule looks a lot more likely as a um, from a winnable standpoint to actually get to the college football playoff. So that's just my theory. Let me know what you think. Thanks for the call, Brandon. Uh, definitely a lot of speculation about you know things that we'll never know the absolute certainty to there, uh, which is which is unfortunate. It'd be it'd be great if there was transparency so that we could all talk about these things from a, a point of absolute knowledge. We just can't. Uh, fans can't. Media can't. Uh, it's the part of the problem of USC being a private school. Uh, it's it's really difficult. Um, that said, I, I did want to go to Brandon's last point really quick about the idea of the, the, the schedule, how the schedule favors out. I know that this is a question I think we're going to get later on in this episode too. I just want to shoot down the idea that you do not want to start a, a tenure against Alabama. That Alabama game, even if you hired Urban Meyer or whatever, whoever your coach is, is a gimme game in week one. Nobody's going to hold that against the new coach in week one. Uh, people held it against Clay Helton because of the way that they got embarrassed and the way that USC got embarrassed against Stanford and Wisconsin and Oregon and all that stuff before he was even there. But if Urban Meyer comes in and he's the head coach of USC right now and they go into that Alabama game, they could lose by 30 and people would be like, well, there's still a plan and it's Urban Meyer. Everything will be fine. It's week one. It's game one. I think that there would be a pass, right? Am, am I insane? Like, I, I don't think that game is somewhat, is, is, a, is something that's going to be held against that coach. No, I absolutely agree. I think that if USC had a new coach, they'd get a pass. Now, obviously, you can't get your pants beaten off you um, in like record fashion or whatever, right. but all you got to do is sort of lose competently, put up a fight. And you can still lose that game, and it's not the end of the world. Um, so, you know, I, 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 I tend to agree with you. But I do, think, I do think that Brandon raises some good points. And if we want to be generous to Mike Bone, I think those are very valid things to consider. This is why I, I brought up all the reasons why that USC might look at this season and decide that keeping Clay Hilton would be worth it. Because that buyout is huge. And Bruce Feldman said on Monday on the Rich Eisen show that it's even lar- that the buyout for Helton and the staff is even larger than has been reported. And what has been reported is $20 million. Wow. So if it's larger than $20 million, we're talking about a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of money. And Brandon's right. Usually, I mean, granted, we have no idea what's going on with, U- with the USC's contract situations, but there is reason to suspect that this time next year, that buyout will be significantly less. And if Mike Bone came in and got a look at USC's financial books and saw a lot of trouble and looked at Clay Helton and realized that the cost that it would take to fire Clay Helton uh, would be so massive that they wouldn't be able to afford a top tier coach, then what would even be the point? Um, I think he could have looked at it and said that in order to land Urban Meyer, he needs to invest a lot of money in the program not just when in salaries, but we talk all the time about the support staff and all that kind of stuff. So it's interesting that they're signaling in keeping Clay Hilton that they're going to invest in the program in ways that they haven't before, which is, you know, we read as support staff and, and the like. So that could be signaling to the coaches that USC is preparing to pursue later on 
that they're getting started with this process of bringing USC into the 21st century on this um, ahead of ahead of time. So I think there is a decent maybe I won't say decent. I think there is a possibility that USC is just biding their time. The problem that Mike Bone has run into is that USC's fan base is done. They are out of they they have no patience and they are done. And the financial ramifications going the other way might be so severe that that uh, the strategy for waiting might ultimately be the the wrong strategy. But ultimately, Mike Bone will have to prove this time next year if that's really the case. The the trouble that he gets into is something that we've been talking about now for the last couple of podcasts. If Clay Helm wins the Pac-12, then you're screwed because you're not firing after winning the Pac-12. And we both agree that's a possibility for sure. Yeah, because then you'd have to extend him again, right? Well, I mean, <laughs> you'd probably have to extend him more at the very least. You can't. I mean, I, I'm mostly talk being about cold-blooded. But but uh, you know, it, it's yeah. It, I I was serious when I said the other day that um, which I think leads us into an email that we got from uh, from Ed in the Bay Area. Which let me just read that really quick. Email from Ed in the Bay Area who says, Michael, just listen to your podcast out of the retention of Clay Helton. And I totally agree with you that with his retention, he will be here longer than one more year. Let me caveat that with if Graham Harrell stays, with Harrell staying, USC will win 10 games and Helton stays another year or more. Oh, well, we will be a good, not great team for a few more years. Ugh, fight on Ed in the Bay Area. Yeah, like, I, I that's how I see it. And, and not necessarily because USC is going to be you know, super, super good next year. I think they're going to be a, a good, fine team like they've been. Um, fine in the most fine way possible, right? How how that word could be defined. But, you know, the, the Pac-12 has taken a step back again. Utah loses everybody. Uh, I think ASU looks like the biggest contender in the division. And even then, I don't think SC should be scared of ASU. Uh, they shouldn't be scared of UCLA at all. Arizona loses Khalil Tate, but you know who knows what's going on there um, with with them going forward. I don't think there's any reasons to feel confident in in, in the Wildcats. Someone f- had to fire his defensive coordinator. Like yeah. there's a ton of coordinator changes in the Pac-12 this year. ASU, uh, Arizona, um, Oregon is going to lose their offensive coordinator probably yep. to the UNLV head head coaching job. Uh, Washington is is uh, had Peterson step down, and that means that they're going to have a new DC uh, involved. So I don't know USC will they though? We think because Jimmy Lake and and Kwiatkowski were co DCs. So do you just give Kwiatkowski so that staff the, made the, generally the they may just add somebody new? Yeah, I, I think that might be the way to go. I, I don't know. I mean I, that's possible, but I they're still going to be in transition. Right, there's transition there. Uh, there, there's a million reasons to think that SC could be positioned, you know, at least, you know, if not better than Oregon, better than most teams in the conference to to get to the Pac-12 championship game and ultimately do enough uh, to to keep Clay Helton around uh, just a little bit longer, which I know you a lot of USC fans would would not be too happy about because people want him gone now. They wanted him gone last year. And he came back, and then he came back yet again. Uh, let's go to a voicemail we got from Tony. Yeah, this is Tony from Denora, PA. Uh, first, I want to say is um, I came across your podcast a couple of years ago, and you and uh, Alicia do a great job, and I really enjoyed listening to you. Now, back to the our Trojans, I'm very disappointed in what they're doing. I'm shocked that they're bringing this coach back. 
Um, I haven't been disappointed since they lost the championship game to Texas. I don't, I don't know what this administration is looking at and what they decided to do and how they came up with the decision. An 8-4 and four record to this year was not impressive. The uh, Pac-12 was down all year. I, I just It's just amazing to me that they decided to keep him after this season. Uh, ain't got much else to say. Just very disappointed in the FC administration. I don't think they – it just doesn't look like they want to um, pay out the $20 million buyout. And that's that's very cheap. But this this administration, I just, I'm just shocked that they're doing this. All I can say is I'm still an SC fan. I'm going to keep rooting. It's hard to root for them. Still, I'm going to try to keep rooting for them, but it's just hard to root after what they're doing this year. Um, that's all I got to say. Fight on. See you. Thank you, Tony, for the call, and uh, we're glad that you've, uh, you've stuck with the pod and you, and you enjoy it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that sentiment is very uh, relatable, I think, to a lot of USC fans, to most USC fans, in fact. It is It has gotten hard to to follow USC and the decision-making process that USC is using. I mean, part of the problem, we've, we've had this discussion here today, too, Michael, part of the problem is the lack of transparency, is, is us having to sit here on every episode with our, our listeners going back and forth and us trying to make sense of things and our listeners trying to make sense of things and emails and calls and tweets and the like of like, is this why this is happening? Is this why this is happening? Like, maybe this is why this is happening. And in some areas, they can't be transparent because they can't come out and say, yeah, we tried to get, get Urban Meyer, but the money was, wasn't there. Um, but at the same time, there are other areas that USC could just make us all feel like it was well run. And I think that's part of the problem is that if things are a mystery, but uh, for instance, you know, everyone knows I'm a Liverpool fan, Liverpool, uh, the manager, Jurgen Klopp and the management at Liverpool, um, the owners, the, uh, you know, operate the football operations and all that kind of stuff. They are at this stage running like a well-oiled machine. So even when Liverpool decided this summer to not sign anybody new, I could sit back and say, you know what? I trust the people that are in charge because they have proved themselves to be supremely confident. So while I may not understand why Liverpool is doing things the way that they're doing, uh, the, the way that they're doing it, I don't have to worry because Liverpool is in good hands. And I think the biggest problem for USC is I don't know that anyone can sit back here and say that. And for a, a you know a solid month there, it felt like a lot of people were writing on this idea that well USC is in good hands because Carol Fultz and Mike Bone, but. This decision that they've made has eroded every bit of trust that USC fans might have had in them to have USC's best interests at heart. And and I don't think that they're out here trying to tank. Like Brandon mentioned this, like I don't think they're trying to tank the program or anything like that. I just think that sometimes you can make a wrong decision even when you're trying to do right. And uh, and that's unfortunate that we're all sitting here going, well, I don't know if I can trust anybody in in positions of power to make the right decisions at this point. Yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, much like Liverpool, who's who's going to lose the league this year in in beautiful fashion, um, <laughs> SC did not win the league. So, yeah. Eight, eight points clear. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I cannot wait. You know, l- let's let's do a little inside baseball here. One of the reasons you and I really wanted to go to the Alamo Bowl was because we had made, you know, plans. To go to the Cheez-It Bowl on the oh, way sadness. to the Alamo Bowl. You are a big Cheez-It fan, Miss Cheez-It over here. And we were going to go to the Cheez-It Bowl and have a grand old time uh, because the Cheez-It Bowl is on the 27th. And we were going to go and stop in Phoenix 
and go to that game on the way to San Antonio. Lo and behold, it didn't happen. But now we're going to the the Holiday Bowl in San Diego, which means on Boxing Day, we are going to have to be watching Liverpool at the local pub down there in San Diego because you are super into this. And Boxing Day is a big soccer, you know, holiday. It's Boxing Day is a, is akin to what uh, New Year's Day is for college football. Exactly. So exactly. big day. And it's Liverpool, Leicester City. It's going to be beautiful when Liverpool blows it to Leicester City, who's in second place right now. Shoot, we're talking way too much um, about soccer. People are unsubscribing by the by the second. Say a quick. Point. All I know is in Jurgen Klopp, I trust. Eh, eh. I don't trust American owners. Yeah. Gotta say. Yeah, you trust uh, the uh, Russians. Always trust undefeated. the Russian owners. Just saying. <laughs> we'll be right back uh, to, to go into uh, more from the mailbag. We'll be right back. You've got mail. All right, let's just go to voicemail we got from Top Trojan Fan in Virginia. What's going on, Randy? Troy, Top Trojan Fan, calling from Virginia. I was just sitting here listening to uh, the Help and the Fallout episode, and I kind of say that Janice absolutely cracked me up. She hit it right on the head. We, there's only so much we can blame Bone on this. I mean, I, I get it. I get it. Not happy about it. I think the man's a coward for not just stepping out and doing the thing, but I get it. She makes great points. But the thing I really have to address is, Alicia, that was the best movie rundown in like 10 seconds I've ever heard in my life when you described Terminator. That was beautifully done. But the next thing is, Michael, how dare you have never watched the Terminator movies? Like, what are you doing with your time if you've never, in the last nearly, as Alicia put it, 40 years, Watch the Terminator movie. Like, we, we really need to sit down and have some conversations, you and I, about what, what quality time is and how you should spend your free time. Anyways, love the show. Hate the coaching hire, decisions, and everything like that. But we're just going to let that be. We're going to let it play out because I have a feeling it's not over yet. We shall see how this goes it, finally. We'll, we'll see how this ends up. We'll see how it, how it plays out. Uh, in the coming months. You never know. You never know what happens. But I think that at, at the bare minimum, uh, we were stuck with Elton for one year. We've all done it. We've all, you know, suffered through it. We could do it again. Just have to take some real deep breaths and kind of try to not twitch through all of it, you know? But anyways, I've rambled enough. You guys have a great day. It's a beautiful day in Virginia. I hope it's a beautiful day in California and all across Rock Rock Country. This top Georgia fan from Virginia. Fight on, fight out. Thanks for the call, as always, top Trojan fan. Uh, yeah, no interest in, in watching Terminator. Looks like a like <laughs> like I said last week. It looks like a ripoff of RoboCop. Uh, uh, <laughs> a, it's not. Uh, B, we should never be surprised when Michael hasn't uh, consumed a movie that is uh, in the uh, in the you know sort of cultural the zeitgeist. Zeitgeist, yeah, that's the word. Um, but also, I'm glad that my uh, my movie breakdown explanation hit hit the point. But yeah, Michael, it, uh, it no longer surprises me about these kinds of things. So yeah, but good message on the end there, Top Trojan fan. I think I think you're right. Just gotta take a deep breath, and uh, we'll get through it. I mean, the last year, 
always thought the last year would be really long. The last year felt kind of long, but also it went by real fast. So <laughs> the next 12 months will be interesting at the very least. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting to say the least. Uh, let's go to an email we got from John in Oakland. Hi, Alicia and Michael. It is time to move past all of this fan self-pity. Uh, and he sends a video to America's Got Talent uh, with with a clown that is fantastic. Uh, everyone was clamoring for new outside professional and competent leadership at USC. Mike Bone then shows up with decades of experience in the collegiate athletic departments. He has had just three weeks to look over things Look at the financial books. The department just took in over $100 million in 2018, according to the school's published reports. Talk to his new staff, the coaches, and the players. Spending over $20 million to buy out the current football staff and millions more, hiring a new staff clearly didn't make good business sense, especially to someone that understands the business side of college sports. Using the money on upgrading assistant coaches and facilities is a better investment. A.D. Bone then made his decision to not fire Clay Helton. Note he didn't extend his contract or even mention it. It is very rare for a Power 5 head coach to move within the Power 5, unless fired, like Kevin Sumlin, or going from a conference bottom team, like James Franklin when he went from Vanderbilt to Penn State. It is also a known fact that USC fans will need a gun to their collective heads in order to accept a head coach from the group of five. So here is my prediction. If Helton and the team falter next season, and they don't improve by at least winning the Pac-12 South, I firmly believe that Bone, with gun in hand, will make a change. Since Meyer and Stoops were not interested, Bone will fire Clay Helton and very quickly hire one of two current head coaches, P.J. Fleck or Luke Fickle, with Fickle being the most likely choice. Your thoughts? Fight on, John in Oakland. Um, thanks for the thanks for the message uh, or email, John. Um, yeah, I think that uh, as as we were talking about with with Brandon, I think that you can be fair and, and maybe a little bit generous to Mike Bone and assume that there is a broader plan and that, you know, my, my thing has always been I think it's easy for us to throw out numbers like 20 million and oh, the boosters can pay for it and all that kind of stuff. But it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. And I am sympathetic to the idea that the financials didn't make sense for Mike Bone. I think the as I keep going back to the problem for Mike Bone is that the financials don't make sense on either side of it because of the backlash and and I think there's a chance that they just haven't anticipated the extent of the backlash um, when making their black and white the financials don't work kind of uh, kind of decision. Um, as for next year, I think there's still a chance that USC gets a Meyer next year if he isn't swooped up by the NFL or someone. Um, he he did retire more or less for health reasons and giving him a second year off, I think can, can cause that uh, him want, wanting to re-scratch that itch. Uh, when he, when he retired from Florida, wasn't he out for two years before he came back? Uh, I want to say he missed correct one me year. If I'm wrong there. Maybe I'm crazy. Was it just one year? Um, well, either way, I think, I think that itch might, uh, might return for Urban Meyer and, and we'll ultimately see. But um, honestly, I, I don't, necessarily expect someone like PJ Fleck with that massive buyout to be on the table for USC just based on unless USC totally changes the way that they um yeah so he left to Florida in 2010 and then took over at Ohio State for the 2012 season yeah so it was one season yeah 
Yeah, so it was one season. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think I think PJ Fleck is uh, entirely possible, but uh, not sorry. I think Luke Fickle is possible, but even then, if he has another big year at Cincinnati. They might try to lock him up with a big buyout. They might try to lock him up with a big buyout now. Yeah, well, it depends so how fickle it's, USC it's is. Just gonna, well, yeah. And it also depends on how fickle and fleck uh, those two names do in, in 2020 because we've seen coaches be the hot name on the table and then the next year they fall like C. Dino Babers. So, Pat Fitzgerald. Um, Pat, yeah, there's there's a lot of guys who have just sort of fall, fallen off a cliff you know, the next year when they were the the hot names on the on the, on the, the uh on the trail, so right. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I got. I got a question for you. Are you a Richard Ashcroft fan? I don't know who that is. The lead singer of The Verve. You know The Verve. Uh, I do know The Verve. I so did one of their songs know. is "The Drugs Don't Work," and so when when you read over things that say that the money doesn't work or the financials don't work, all I can hear is, now the financials don't work. They just make you worse, but I'll know I'll see your face again. <laughs> no? Uh, sure. Okay. Okay. Whatever you say. <laughs> yeah, we're just going to move on. Uh, it's going to be an email from Randy and Redlands. Hey guys, optimistic Randy here. Well, Mike Bone and maybe Carol Folt has finally made his or her decision, and most of the fan base is in an absolute uproar. So I thought I might look at some of the things to be optimistic about. So let me know what you think of these five reasons for optimism. Number one, the first thing that stood out to me in Helton and Bone's statements was that they both touched on the subject of giving Clay the resources necessary to compete at a championship level. To me... That would mean doing everything necessary to keep Graham Harrell and to spend whatever money necessary to revamp the defensive coaching staff. Let's see what they do. Number two, we potentially return 18 starters. Not many teams can match that, and our defensive line could be elite, and the back seven will have all the starting experience. On the offense, the O-line should continue to improve and could be one of the best we've put on the field in several years, and the skill positions will be stacked. Number three, for only the second time in Helton's tenure, we would have a returning starting quarterback. He will be backed up by a former starter. The last time we had a returning starter for a full season, we won the Pac-12 championship. Turnovers should decline since most of them have been committed by freshmen and backup quarterbacks this year. Number four, for the first time in Clay's tenure, there is an experienced athletic director to aid him. Just imagine if Clay had first been hired if we had an AD that would have recognized that Clay's Rolodex was very limited and we needed to surround a first-time head coach with proven experience coordinators, just maybe we wouldn't be in the situation that we are in right now. Number five, Clay Helton is not a bad coach and has improved every year and his Rolodex is getting better. If you look at the hires he has made since his original staff, he has done well from Dylan McCullough to Graham Harrell. They have all been an improvement over their predecessors Let's hope that this is able to continue as a trend with his upcoming hires. Uh, there are just a few things that keep me optimistic and keep me looking forward to next season. I really hate seeing so many people being down on everything surrounding about the football program. I have been a fan of USA since 1965. I have seen great teams, bad teams, great coaches, bad coaches, great victories and devastating losses, but nothing will ever get me to turn against the team that I love. I think everyone has the right to their opinions and encourage all of them to share them and continue to be passionate about this team. 
but please stop all the hate. If you can't handle the situation, then simply move on. There are plenty of other teams for you to root for. These student athletes and coaches deserve better. They want to win as much or as more than any of us and deserve much more respect than they are being given. And when they take the field, they need to hear the cheers of their fans and know that they're behind them. If anybody is to blame for this mess, it's the past administrations and athletic directors, and they have already moved on. Clay Helton is our coach for now. So I would say to the fans, rather than being haters, let's be supporters and see how things work out. Try to stay optimistic. I would love to hear your takes on what makes you optimistic. As always, I thank you for what you do. Fight on forever. Randy from Redlands. Optimistic, Randy. Thank you, Optimistic Randy. Um, Honestly, I loved everything about that email. Um, I loved every single word. Mostly because I think it's... I like hearing the other perspective, especially when I fall into the pit of despair that I've been in for the last few weeks and I've kind of vowed to not fall into the optimism like I always do in the off season even though Pessimistic I know I'm Alicia is out in full force I know I know but like part of the reason I fall into the optimism every year is because of all the reasons that Randy has laid out there there are reasons to be optimistic I know that everyone's angry and frustrated and just you know at their wits end with USC and, and I totally get that I sympathize with that but there are reasons to be optimistic, and I think Randy lays them out very, very well. As we've talked about, there are reasons to think this team can win the Pac-12 next year. And if you know, if we as podcasters and and our listeners as fans and everything like that, if we can't put ourselves in a, into a mindset to enjoy the possibility of that, then again, I, I think Randy's right. Like, then you know, maybe it's time to move on. And um. I, I don't know. I Yeah, I I tend to think I, I guess to to respond a little bit to, to Randy's points of optimism, which I, I think are completely valid. I think there are points that you can then give counterpoints to all of them about, you know, we always think that the offensive line is going to be better the next year and it doesn't necessarily turn out. And, you know, we thought USC was going to improve on the turnover margin in other years, and the penalties in other years and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think we know how limited Clay Helton is as a head coach. So you have to sort of build in your expectations to be disappointed in a certain amount of ways. But like we said, like Clay Helton can be disappointing as a head coach. And because like Randy said, he's not a bad coach. He's just very medium. Me- he flitters between medium and mediocre. And that's the problem because that means he's going to be sort of stuck between eight and nine wins. But nine wins can still get you a Pac-12 title. So, you know what? There are worse, there are worse places to be. Um, I'd, I think the big thing to take away, and this is something that I expressed on Twitter to start this week too, is like the thing about Helton is the head coach. And as much as, you know, we might want that to be different, uh, as, as individuals, we might all think that USC has made a mistake or uh, should have done something this, different this way or that way. The reality is what it is, so we have to process the next 12 months for what they are. And I put this on Twitter, like, we have to cover a bowl game like it's a bowl game, not the end of the world for USC. And we have to cover recruiting like it's recruiting, not the end of the world for USC. And we have to cover spring camp like it's spring camp and fall camp like it's fall camp, not the end of the world for USC. Like, And I think that I would hope that USC fans come to a point where 
they can take in a bowl game without it being the worst thing that's ever happened to USC or follow recruiting without it being, you know, something that makes them unhappy. Because again, if it makes you this unhappy, then maybe it is time to step away. As uh, the great Cheryl Crow would say, if it makes you happy, then why are you so sad? <laughs> isn't that isn't that the perfect lyric for uh, USC fans right now? Yeah, a, a little bit. I, I, my thought is always, you know, we love college football. There's 12, 13, sometimes 14 or 15 games a season. That's not many weeks in which there's football. Uh, and, you know, the you and I live and breathe college football. You and I live and breathe watching this team. People listening to this are diehard USC fans for the most part. You live and breathe USC football. Isn't it just gut-wrenching to just sit there and just be absolutely miserable? And I, I'm not saying that you should lower your expectations. I'm not saying that you should just think that the Holiday Bowl is a great thing. I'm not saying that you should do, like, you know, let Clay off the hook or anything. Because absolutely, USC needs a new head coach. USC needs change. USC needs to be in a better situation. SC needs to prioritize their football program more. They need to invest. They need to stop underachieving. They need to get past this decade of mediocrity. They need to do this and this and that and that and all these things. At the same point, I keep going back to the same thing I've said all season. If you can't sit here and enjoy Michael Pittman, if all these things are letting, taking away from your enjoyment of Michael Pittman, you're missing out. Yes. And, and you know, you won't have Michael Pittman in 2020, but you're going to have Drake London and Amon Ross and Brown yeah. and probably Tyler Vaughn and Slovis. Keaton Slovis yeah. and Drake Jackson Tano and Tano Hufanga. Like, there's so many players. If nothing else, there's players to root for. Uh, likable players. Uh, enjoyable players to watch. There's reasons to, to enjoy this team besides all the, the, the stuff about Clay Helton too. Uh, so I think that that's, that, that, that's just change your viewpoint. If nothing else, root for the players. Right. Um, and you know, to, to go into Randy's point, and I think he's right. Like, yeah, there, there's, you can look at this and say, yeah, this team should be better next year. Uh, and all this stuff at the same point, they can still need a change. Like both of those things are not exclusive, mutually yeah. exclusive. Yeah. So, uh, it's going to mean and saying one and saying one of those things doesn't mean that like it has to have the response of but Helton's ruining everything like right. yeah but like you know again it's okay that I'm just not looking forward things. to the next twelve months of everything we tweet with the response is is Helton fired yet is Helton fired yet yeah. It's it gets tiring, man. I'm well. I don't, I just I'm over it. I mean, like I'm over it. I I love the passion. I get the passion, but also like I don't have that kind of energy to just be responding to everything that I see with that negative. No, like and, anger. And, no, I, I don't know how people sustain it. Honestly, I, and and I'm not. You know, my viewpoint is not coming from a don't be negative thing. I I don't care. I. Be negative, be positive, be whatever. I just find it exhausting. It's got to be exhausting, right? Like uh, right now, the the Cubs off season is incredibly sad. When there's rumors of trading 
arguably potentially the greatest cub of all time in, in Chris Bryant. And it makes me not even want to read anything because it's, it's sad. And so I can't imagine like responding to every little tweet with, you know, Rickett sucks or whatever, because it just seems very exhausting to me. Well, but that's, and, and that's I'm not an optimist. Like- I am surely not an optimist. I'm, I'm uh, middle ground, Michael. That's me. So. Right. But like, and it goes both ways. Cause we've had in the past when we've tweeted negative things, like we get the random people who are always the sunshine pumper, always going like, you know, why so negative? Blah, blah, blah. blah. And it's like, I don't have, again, I don't have the, the, the energy or patience to be doing that either, to be constantly positive. Like, again, it's just, <laughs> it's, yeah. Some, I mean, you got to sort of tip your hat to some people because they never stop ever. But With the energy, uh, energizer bunny a little bit. Uh, let's go to the yeah. email we got from Tom. Hi, Michael and Alicia. Whatever the spread is, it's probably easy money to bet on Alabama. Does anyone honestly believe that if you give Saban and Helton eight months to prepare for a game, that Helton stands any chance to be semi-competitive against Saban? I think that alone speaks volumes to where Clay Helton is as a coach. You've mentioned the patronizing attitude of the national media towards USC fans. I think next season's opener serves as a prime example as to why looking at the headline facts can be deceiving. There is absolutely no reason the game against Alabama shouldn't be at least competitive. I don't think it's unreasonable with all the inherent advantages and talent to not expect USC to be embarrassed in the game, but they will be. USC will likely end up 9-3 and or 8-4 and next year after going through the terrible Pac-12, and Helton will be retained for another year. I'm not expecting to be in the playoff every year. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? But USC has never even been seriously in contention to be in the playoffs. As it stands, I probably only watch one or two games a year now. I have no interest in watching Groundhog's Day every Saturday. I just make sure to catch the car cast and rewatch to keep up to date and rant. Fight on, Tom in the Cayman Islands. Thanks for the call, Tom. Um, I <laughs> Thank you for supporting the show, even if you're not uh, watching every game. Uh, that should be that. That's got to be a, an interesting listening experience. But he's got a point. When the Groundhog's Day, when you've seen one game, you've seen them all. And uh, yeah, the the worrying thing is that uh, that Alabama game is set up to be, whew, not good, not good at all. But I mean, I remember back in 2016, ahead of that game, I think everyone expected Alabama to have the better of of USC, just where they were coming from, even though. Um, even though things weren't as dire at that point, people were pretty down on the program, pretty down on the prospect of Clay Hilton going up against Nick Saban. And I remember writing, doing a comparison before that game of the rosters and looking at the star ratings uh, for, for both sides. And USC compared right next to Bama with the number of five stars and four stars uh, in their, in their uh, two deep. So, if that was the case back then, it's probably still mostly the case now. I think Alabama's probably pulled away a little bit in that front because USC's recruiting hasn't been completely on top of it over the last uh, in the last cycle. But at the very least, the talent gap between these two teams is not huge. It's not going to be as huge as the line for that game will suggest will suggest it will, or the feelings from fans will suggest it will. But I think, like like you said. 
Isn't that why people are so sort of downhearted about this whole thing? Right. I I I agree with Tom that, you know, there's reasons to say that SC can be competitive in that game. Look at the teams that give Alabama trouble. What is their common uh what's the common denominator there? Good quarterback? Good quarterback play? Offensive playmakers. USC yeah, has wide receivers. Yeah, SC has those absolutely. They can give, you know, Alabama some serious, you know, things to worry about there, but it's nine months of worry for Nick Saban, right? To prepare uh, for USC's wide receiver core of Amonara St. Brown and Tyler Vons and Drake London and Munir McLean and Kyle Ford and Bruce McCoy, like all those guys, Keaton Slovis, many months to prepare. I think the problem comes down to can USC compete on the offensive and defensive line? Probably not. And so even if you were able to score uh, some and put some points up on Alabama, are you going to be able to control the game at some point? Probably not. Well, and that's the, the, the bigger problem I see is not Saban versus Helton, but, you know, if USC does manage to hang on to Graham Harrell, I know that we all are looking at that and thinking that's a key thing for USC to have success in, in 2020, but also Graham Harrell is a young kid compared to Nick Saban and his defensive staff. And they will have nine months to tear apart the tape on his air raid from 2019. Do we think that won't have an impact too? I think it will. Pessimistic Alicia is out in full force. Well, yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Uh, Let's get a tweet from Steve Unger. Will you be able to cover USC practices, assuming that they have some? Uh, LA Fred also says over under... USC is allowed 15 Holiday Bowl prep practices. How many will they use? I'll set the line at 10.5. Um, a, uh, as far as we know, we will be able to cover them, but USC has been weird about access for practice, so I don't know the extent to which we'll be, we'll be able to cover them, and we don't know when they are. Um, as for the over-under on 10, uh, am I being off base and too pessimistic to go with the under there what what did they do the last holiday bowl uh i'm gonna take the under but i think it could get the over because they might end up counting things as practices that might not be practices yeah they do that so um or that maybe you and i wouldn't count them as practice but they would and they would say that though that they got to 13 or 14 or 15 or something like that so yeah, like a walkthrough or whatever. Right. So, I don't know. Uh, the the under seems like a good bet, though, too. Let's go to a trio of tweets we got from Jason Ginsburg, Brandon Genos, and Zyandi. Uh, Jason says, some anti-Helton fans really want USC to lose the Holiday Bowl badly, figuring that something will force uh, Bone to fire him. Is there any scenario where this happens? Brandon says, is there any chance uh, that Carol Fultz could reenact her decision to make Bone... I have a decision to keep, uh, to revert his decision to keep Helton. And Zyandi says a Holiday Bowl win will not win back fans. However, if they are beaten badly, how much hotter is Clay Helton's seat? And is there any chance Bone will be forced to fire him? I don't know that I could see it. I really don't. I could have seen it after a Pac-12 championship game. I don't know if I can see it after a bowl game. Because I think at that point, you've you've locked into it, right? Uh, I mean, I, I, I would be lying if I didn't have times in the day where I just sort of like mused in my head about like, 
Well, you know, Urban Meyer was talking about how USC is an elite program. So maybe, I mean, Urban could, you know, in January decide that he wants to be the head coach. And then USC could go like, oh, okay, thanks, Clay, bye. And then, you know, start anew and blah, 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 whatever. Um, But then my rational brain comes in and says, like, no, USC is stubborn as all hell. So, of course, they're not going to back off a decision that they made, especially when it made people angry. Um, the The only thing I could say is that, like, a lot of people have messaged us, have messaged other writers in the, on the beat, have messaged, uh, have tweeted, everything like that, that they are pulling back their um, financial support of the university. If that's a hard enough hit, then like maybe, maybe USC then looks at it and like I've said, where they miscalculated and didn't realize how bad the financials would be going the other way. And so... Then they were like, okay, well, maybe we made a mistake and we do it. But like that would be again, when has USC ever made admitted that they made a mistake? And I know we're dealing with new figures in in Carol Fult and Mike Bone, but also they're administrators. And when have administrators ever done that either? So I don't know. I wouldn't bet on it. Yeah, I definitely would not bet on that either. Uh, we got so many more tweets. We're gonna take a quick break and come right back and uh, finish off with those. We'll be right back. You've got mail. All right, everybody. Let's go to a tweet we got from Tim Tolley, our good friend. He says, from an outside perspective, this feels like about the biggest holiday bowl possible. If USC loses, the fans will get even more rabid. If they win, can Clay Helton actually win back some fans? Alicia, you know, I, I got this, this tweet and I immediately text Tim. And I said, are you crazy? Nobody is going to get won over by the Holiday Bowl, uh, not because they shouldn't be, uh, more so because I think fans are just so dead set on where they are, um, where where they stand with Clay Helton. And I know how USC fans feel about, or a, at least a chunk, feel about the Holiday Bowl uh, and feel about Big Ten teams. Um, a lot of people look down on Big Ten teams because of the Pete Carroll era and what the Pete Carroll era teams did to those Big Ten teams that they met in the Rose Bowl. And I guarantee you, if SC repeats the 2003 Orange Bowl and wins 38-17, we will see tweets, oh, it was just Iowa. Oh, it, it, it was a Big Ten, it was a mediocre Big Ten team. What did you expect? This doesn't mean anything. Now, I'm not to say to say that that's right or wrong. That's just what the reaction will be. So there's no way that people are like, you know what? I was proven wrong. Clay outcoached Kirk Ferentz, and this is great. Like, no, there's there's no way on earth that, that that's a reaction. Yeah, this is the easiest question we've ever gotten. And I don't think it's any uh, coincidence that it came from an outside source, a non-USC fan, because... Penn State fan, yeah, Tim? Yeah. I, yeah, I, I don't think that people outside of USC under, and this is why the national media is like this. They don't understand how much USC fans en masse are done with Clay Helton. On Twitter, I posted a poll asking what it would take for Clay Helton to win back USC fans in 2020. So if Tim wants to talk about like winning back fans in 2020, I put up a poll. This is unscientific Twitter poll. And 50% said winning a playoff game 
another 30% said winning a national title would be the minimum that would cause them to admit that they that that Clay Helton would was okay. Can I blame like, yeah, winning Coach the, winning, for this? Winning the winning the Holiday Bowl means nothing. Losing the Holiday Bowl actually means nothing too because people are already over it. So it'll just be more fuel to the fire, but that fire's still going to be rage, raging no matter what. Yeah. Essentially, uh, essentially. Uh we we got some questions about Iowa specifically. We're going to save those for the Holiday Bowl uh preview episode which will come out on Festivus. Get ready for that. Um a, a Festivus drop for the rest of us. Um also, we got a bunch of voicemails that we weren't able to get to also. We've just got so many. Uh we haven't been able to play everyone's voicemails or read everyone's tweets or read everyone's emails. We apologize. We wish we could. We've just been so bombarded with uh, with with everything. Uh, let's go to a uh, tweet we got from David Orange County. Recruiting is not going well. We don't have a lot of spots available. Any chance we punt on this class and try to snatch up some transfer portal dudes? Um, I don't know. I, so much of this depends on USC's own transfer portal exits. Because, I mean, this is the new normal in college football. I don't think you can expect USC to have no one leave in the transfer portal this year. So, yeah, like with the graduating seniors, which is very limited, USC only has like 13 rides. But that could, you know, get up towards 20 when all is said and done. And so uh, I don't know about punting on this class. I think USC will fill this class to what they have uh, to end when the early signing period comes available to them. But... Um, the, the transfer portal is, is definitely a possibility. I just wouldn't like bank on the transfer portal being where USC does most of their work. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's so difficult to gauge because the transfer portal has a lot of people in it, but also, especially with the popularity of transfers right now, Joe Burrow goes from Ohio State to LSU. They're the number one team in the country. Uh, Justin Fields goes from Georgia to Ohio State, the number two team in the country. Uh, Jalen Hurts goes from Alabama to Oklahoma, the, the number four team in the country, right? All these major transfers are out there, which means I think more teams will be in the hunt for these these transfer portal superstars, um, which will make it a little bit more difficult as well. So a lot more competition there. Uh, let's go to a tweet we got from Michael Madden, uh, along with Meech and David Contreras, and these are all very similar. So Michael says, can you guys talk about the overall recruiting class right now and how you feel about it? Meech says, are you guys hearing anything about kids that are close to committing? And David says, how much was keeping uh, Helton a move to salvage recruiting? Uh, Alicia, let's talk about this recruiting class. It is uh, not going well. Not going well at all. Well, it's it's ranked 76th nationally, uh, which is Oh, that seems normal, you know. Not not good. It's eleventh no. in the Pac-12, which is very not good. No, um, no. bad USC. No, there are ten commits. Only one of them is a four-star. This is where it starts getting un- unprecedented because we always talk about how, you know, the three stars aren't the problem. It's how many four stars you have relative to the three stars. So USC having nine three-star commits, including a, a kicker, it's not the end of the world under under normal circumstances. Like you'd expect to see seven, eight, nine three star commits in a class. The problem is USC usually has a class of seven, eight, nine three star commits, and you know seven, eight, nine four star commits, and then 
one or two five-star commits and four or five if you're, if you're really having a good year. The problem for USC is the lack of four-star commits, and their one four-star commit is Jonah, uh, Jonah Monheim, who's the offensive guard from Moore Park, and he was a three-star when he committed. He's now a four-star. And Josh Jackson, the Narbonne wide receiver, was a four-star, and now he's a three-star. So things have kind of moved around. But either way, the highest-ranked recruit in USC's class is Jonah Monheim, who is 348th nationally. Is that good? That's He's the 26th player in California. So USC has zero commits from the top 25 in California. That that is so that, that is mind-boggling. So yeah, that is zero. not good. Um the the good news, the the good news for USC is that um the recruiting class is not done yet. USC still has time to salvage this whole thing and they could do that by um you know Justin Flo is the top player in California in the country uh or number 3 in the country I guess he is potentially maybe still an outside shot of USC going in there although it looks like Clemson's going to get him um USC is the crystal ball leader for Gary Bryant Jr from Centennial a wide receiver four star wide receiver who's number 7 in in California um let's see who else uh let's see Darian Green Warren, the cornerback out of Narbonne, ranked 19 in California, is the crystal ball favorite for USC. Um, LV Bunkley Shelton, the wide receiver out of uh, Sarah, has 33% of the crystal ball for USC, 50% cloudy. So maybe he's a guy, number 20, 21 in the state, who USC might pick up. So they could end up with a handful of California guys that you would expect them to to get. But at this stage, we're talking about salvaging maybe a top 25 recruiting class, which is partly because of how small this class is going to be, but also mostly because of how weak USC's recruiting has been. Remember, 2013 was like a 13-person recruiting class, and it's still ranked top 10 or, or 13 or whatever it was. So this is historically not good, but also it's not done yet. We'll see where they who who they pick up in in the next. It's uh, it's going to be the worst and, recruiting class in USC history, undoubtedly. Yes, um, that's fair. That's and, fair. and yeah, there's there's no way that it can't be at this point, really. Um, yeah, if if they got to the top twenty five, that would seem like a miracle at this point. I can't imagine that it gets there. Uh, I I think it probably ends up in like the thirties or the forties or something. Uh, which is which is still terrible for what USC is. So, I I mm, mm, it's not good. Uh, I will say that a lot of people are up in arms about what Mike Bone said about the recruiting stuff. I I'm not defending Mike Bone here. I'm not defending Clay Helt. Um, but I don't know why anyone puts stock into these things that the AD and the coach says. Like they they have to spin everything. They have to. Uh, Mike Bone's not going to come out and say it's a terrible recruiting class and Clay Helton is a terrible coach, but we kept him. And, you know, it's, uh, uh, you know, even though he's got awful, why, and I don't know why parents would, would want to commit, we're still going to have to try to sign somebody. Like, he's never going to say that. And I feel like that's what fans want him to say, which is just ridiculous. Um, at, at the same point of, you know, the, the, the Helton, uh, prepared statement about the Holiday Bowl, calling it an honor and stuff. He's been picked apart for that. Like, what is Clay supposed to say? It, it's a it's a prepared statement 
for the Holiday Bowl that that gets read by the Holiday Bowl people too. Like, is he going to say, well, this is a crappy bowl we didn't want to be in? No, like he's never, ever going to say that in a prepared statement. Mm-hmm. So like, I, I know that, I know that that stuff is, is not enjoyable for USC fans to listen to, but that's why you shouldn't put any stock into it. Don't worry about it. J- judge Mike Bone on his actions. Judge Clay Helton on his actions. The the words are, it's a hot plate. It's all a hot plate. It really is. Don't touch and, the hot and plate. Basically, basically, the the big thing is, like, don't pay attention to the words. The words are meaningless. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so I just did the class calculator on 24-7 sports. And if USC adds Gary Bryant Jr., Darren Green Warren, and L.V. Bunkley Shelton, these are all four-star recruits out of California, um, the recruiting class projected team score would be 186.6, which would have USC ranked at 40th behind... Uh, would this be ahead of, yeah, behind Iowa State in the Pac-12, behind they would still be Iowa behind State. Cal, behind Cal, behind Colorado, ASU, UCLA, and all of the above. Can I blame Coach Helton for this? So, uh, yeah, um, that's that's if we assume that USC doesn't drop any other three-star guys. If you add Justin Flo in there, you jump up to 205 which would put USC at 25th, right ahead of Iowa. (laughs) Iowa State to Iowa. There you go. So, yeah. I mean, USC is one miracle commitment away from uh, top 25. One miracle to get into the top 25. USC football in 2019, folks. Uh, Let's go to a tweet we got from Alex. Moving forward, project the starting lineup on both sides of the ball for next season. That's a difficult one off the uh, off the dome here. Yeah, we'll we'll be doing a lot of this too later on in the off season, like ahead of spring camp and all that. Usually, I do a depth chart projection and the like, but um, it's a little bit hard to do because we don't know exactly who's leaving. Like that right. projection changes a lot if Austin Jackson leaves, if Elijah Vera Tucker leaves. Um, As it stands now, though, there, there's not many seniors. Uh, John Houston leaves, but you would imagine that EA Naoteote gets a start um, uh, at linebacker along with potentially Kanai Mauga, and they find room to have both of those guys, maybe even Solomon Tulia-Pupu if he's healthy. Um, and Jordan Iasefa is going to be back, too. Jordan so. Iasefa will be back, yeah. Uh, on the defensive line, uh, Christian Rector's out. Maybe that means room for... Uh, Connor Murphy is a redshirt senior. Maybe it means room for Nick Figueroa, uh, Abdul Malik McLean. Like I don't know. It's it's uh, it's kind of open. Yeah. So and that's the problem is that there are like there are positions where there will be openings, but we're not entirely sure exactly how they're going to fill them. Like a wide receiver. Like okay, they lose Michael Pittman. We think Tyler Vons will be back, but he could also leave. And you're going to have Amon Ross St. Brown back and Drake London back. But does that mean that? Kyle Ford is the next guy up. Does that mean that Manu McLean will come back healthy? Um, Brew McCoy step right in and and make some waves there. It's it's a little bit hard to say, but uh, we'll we'll have a lot more on that going forward. Yeah, for sure. Uh, tweet from King Cammy. Do you think USC and the leadership of Fult and Bone, not knowing the fight song allegedly, 
uh, is in tune with the Trojan fans on the issue of Reggie Bush's return. Seems like a one-foot putt for an administration desperate to change the channel, but is Reggie and, quote, integrity compatible? I mean, that's a good question. Uh, Apparently, according to Dave Roberts, the interim AD, Reggie Bush's disassociation will end this summer. So you'd have to imagine that once that's done, USC will bring him back. But I don't know. Carol Foltz is uh, hard to gauge at this point. And yeah, she's used the word integrity a million times. So maybe they're not big on that. I don't know. Yeah, I I, I don't know. the, The whole thing when it came out with Dave Roberts saying that, you know, he could come back felt weird. I like I I'm it's not that I doubt it it's just that I can't believe I can't see it happening it until so it casual. happens right yeah so I I don't I don't know uh Justin Abbott on Twitter says what's your favorite way of preparing corn um I don't actually prepare corn myself all that much but I do enjoy corn so like creamed corn is my favorite um corn I, on the cob I can was, be good I was gonna say cream corn. But I think I'm changing my answer to cornbread. Oh, see, I'm not big on cornbread. So how are you not big on cornbread? I'm not big on cornbread. I don't like it. Oh, this is a not that I don't like it. It's just not my favorite. It's too dry. Mate, you're getting the wrong cornbread, young lady. With some good honey butter. Mm. Well, you have to have a lot of honey butter on it. That's the problem. Mm. Like, so at that point, it's not that I like the cornbread. It's that I like the honey butter. Well, sure. Yeah. It's like, it's not that like I like the salad. Marie I like Callender's the ranch dressing. Cornbread? Mm, scrumptious. Fantastic. Meh. Meh. See, I like corn on the cob too, but it's the hardest way to eat corn. So like... Yeah. I can't eat yeah. corn on the cob yes. for dental reasons, but I love corn on the cob. I, I enjoy it very much. Yeah. But cream corn is my favorite. Yeah. Candy corn. This is another one. Gross. Uh, I continue to be in the camp that candy corn is okay. It's not great and it's not terrible. It's okay. No, it's terrible. It's okay. Uh, It's just like eating wax, but it's okay. Uh, Tweet (laughs) from Daniel Mercado. Who are Michael and Alicia's favorite Pokemon? Oh, my my favorite Pokemon is Psyduck. Psyduck is fun. Um, I also love Ponyta. Ponyta is my, like, OG favorite um, of the starter Pokemon, I love Squirtle best. Um, there's a bunch of new Pokemon. Now, I'm a Pokemon Go player, so, uh, yeah, that I, there, there's, like, new crap that I'm still learning, but, like, something is, it's something that's called, like, Blitzy or Blitzel or something like that. It's like an electric Ponyta. No. That's my jam, too. No. There's only 151 Pokemon. After that, they're all garbage. They should have <laughs> never expanded. Uh, there's one simple answer to this, but I'll hear arguments for about three others. The simple answer is Blastoise is the best Pokemon, hands down, 100%, easily Blastoise. Uh, that said, I will hear, argue, hear arguments for Diglett, very good Pokemon. Uh, nah. o- Onyx? Onyx is a great Pokemon. This we agree on. Thank you. And lastly, feel like this might be a little uh, controversial here. Pidgeot. Uh, no. Why not? No. Hard no. Why? 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 It's just a pigeon in three different forms. It's like a hawk. It's a badass looking hawk. 
meh. It's a pigeon. I, I, I've been playing with the soundboard here, and I forgot that we had a Pokemon drop. It's about a lot of things. It's about acquiring Pokemon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Anyways, uh, that's going to wrap up this episode. It's been a long one. I didn't think it was going to go this long, but here it is. It is uh, almost two hours. Almost. Not quite. Uh, thanks for listening, as always. We'll be back uh, next week on the main side of things. We'll be back more uh, over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Troy. We're going to get all of our bonus episodes. Uh, Alicia, you got a final word for us? The final word is Pokemon. Pokemon. Yep. Pokemon. Got to catch them all. But actually... I'm the only one in my friend group that has given up Pokemon for Wizards Unite. They all tried it and then fell away, and I'm the only one still plugging away. So I may have forced my boyfriend to download the app so that I could friend him so that I would have another friend. That sounds very depressing. I mean, yeah, I'm sad. Sounds like a dumb game. It's a great game. I enjoy it. All right. Uh, judge. Until next time, we will see you. See you. See you.